but you have to hear what she did to me. I sat down first and I had grabbed, I was on a connection and I ran to get Thai food and I'm not a good spicy person. And it was this like red pepper Thai tofu. And it was the only thing that they had that wasn't meat because I don't eat the meat. And I literally scarf it down and I put it like under my seat in the bag. Well, immediately the red pepper flakes start, like my forehead starts like sweating. And this woman is the middle seat and she comes Uh in and I, we are now about to take off and I am sweating and she Uh grabs my hand and she says, oh honey, I used to be afraid of flying too. (laughs) And you know what? It felt so nice that I just let her have that. I was like, (laughs) and she just held my hand. It was really sweet. Yeah. But I meant to tell you guys that story because it's really, it's really funny. But I was really sweating from red pepper flakes, not because I was scared of flying. The hollow buddy. And we all feel hollow sometimes. Greetings and salutations and welcome to the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. I'm Kristen Zeman, and I'm here with my ferocious co-host, Sylvia Moyer. We are former police chiefs, but the Hollow Bunny podcast is not just for cops. This podcast is for anyone who has an interest in talking about life and about leadership, particularly the leadership lessons that we've learned along the way. And those lessons fill up the Hollow Bunny, which is the metaphor. So it's metaphorical. Sylvia who is filling our bunny today? Kristen Zeman. You're going to be delighted because our bunny is going to be filled with the amazing Dr. Obed Magni. Now, let me tell you about this guy. How are you doing, Obed? Great. How are you doing, Miss Sylvia Moyer? Oh, fantastic. I'm a huge fan of yours. I will call you Obed. I will call you Doctor. I will call you the amazing Obed Magni. But all of that means that we are introducing you to our millions of listeners, millions of listeners, and they need to know about you a little bit. So I'm going to tee this up, Obed. It's going to be a little tickler for some folks because you are a former police officer. You have nearly two decades of police experience. You serve now as an executive coach, a leadership speaker uh, on leadership, on public policy. You are an advisor to many. And you are the founder and CEO of Magni Leadership. At Dr. Magni, you, Obed Magni, you are an executive coach uh, and you do some remarkable things in helping folks figure out what fills their bunny and where they need to strengthen how they show up. And here's some of the cool things. So those folks that are in policing are may know or have some resonance with some of the things that I'm about to describe. And then those that are not in the policing space may go, huh, I want to know more. Well, okay, your experience includes um, expertise in areas such as motivation, job satisfaction, diversity, trauma, uh, emotional intelligence. You are a co-founding member and executive board member of the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing. And it's a really a nonprofit organization designed to drive the national conversation toward ensuring the least harmful, most effective, fairest, and safest research-based strategies. It's employed to prevent crime and to reduce harm and to improve 
community wellness and a number of things, right? And so you do a lot of stuff. Uh, Wait, is that it? I really, I think you need to work on your resume, Dr. Magny. I, 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 I feel like you really need to add more things to it. You want to know something funny? Uh, so one of the, I guess you can call it a criticism, is whenever I'm doing any public speaking events or uh, if I'm doing a webinar, when I talk about my background, uh, when I initially did it, I kind of like, you know, wouldn't say as much. And I didn't have people tell me, oh, you know what, you need to talk more about what your background is. This, And so, of course, I go on the other side where I'm talking about my background and then it ends up being like 15 minutes long. I'm like, you know what, I need to shorten this up a little bit. So No, no I don't just- think so. No, you need to own all every single word. I'm just messing yeah. with you. I'm That is all to say you are a very impressive human and we are so grateful to have you on the Hollow Bunny podcast. Thank you. And before uh, before we continue, I also want to uh, acknowledge you, Miss Sylvia Moyer, and saying it's great to see you. And Miss Zyman, you probably don't know this, but I follow you on Twitter, and I'm a big fan of yours. And uh, I've been following you since your days in Illinois, by the way. And uh, just want to say that it is a pleasure to be amongst both of you guys today. So, I just oh, want to well, thank you so much. I knew I had one follower out there, and it's you. So, <laughs> thank you very much. And yeah, welcome to the conversation today. I'm excited to delve in. And you know what, Obed, you are you're definitely an effervescent human being, and you've had a, quite an interesting path. Now, you grew up back east, didn't you? Talk to us about that. Are, well. I was born in Miami, Florida, and shortly after I was born, my parents moved to Boston, Massachusetts. To this day, I have no idea why in the heck they did that, because who goes from Miami to Boston, right? I mean, Boston's cool. (laughs) Shout out to the Boston folks out there. Um, But I am not a fan of the cold weather, which is why I left Boston, Massachusetts, and I moved to Sacramento, California. And I now live in Las Vegas, Nevada. I just moved here a little less than one year ago because, again, wherever the warm weather is, that's where I'm chasing it. Mm. You didn't come to Arizona? What the hell? uh, Yeah, Arizona doesn't have Las Vegas. Mm. You know, it's like Scottsdale, Phoenix, Las Vegas. You don't get get showgirls in Arizona. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I heard. I wouldn't know anything about that. So... Um, (laughs) You you grew up uh, on the East Coast. You how did you pick policing? What was that about for you? So uh, when I was little, I used to watch uh, TV shows like T.J. Hooker. I'm already giving away my age. I'm aging myself right now. Uh, TV shows like T.J. Hooker. You know, I always had a. I don't know. I guess you could say I was always leaning towards policing in the sense that you know this is cool. That would be a cool job. However, it wasn't exactly like. I definitely want to be a police officer when I grow up. I want to get into policing. I was never really that strong. It was kind of a, eh, you know what? I'll maybe look into that sometime, you know, if I can't find anything else to do in life. So, you know, I get into college, uh, I'm majoring in uh, football and track and field, like your typical jock, right? And, you know, around my third year in school, my third of six years, I was in the six-year plan in the interest of transparency, uh, so I don't want people thinking, oh, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's always been this smart. Trust me, y'all, I wasn't. You know, around my junior year, I kind of had an interest in getting into policing. Now it became a forefront, not a background deal. And so, you know, I started looking around and, you know, just thought about making a difference in the community that I serve, whether it was going to be in Boston, Massachusetts, or in the state of Massachusetts, or wherever. 
But I just found it interesting and fascinating because it wasn't one of those type of jobs where, you know, you're sitting behind a desk all day. Uh, you know, every day is different. Every call is different. Uh, there are different options, you know, that you wanted, you know, if anybody wanted to get into. So it's like, hey, if I wanted to be a detective, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just thought I wanted to get into policing. So that was kind of, uh, that's, how it, that's how it got started. Okay. So, so then you're in policing, you're doing the policing thing, and then you pursued a, a terminal degree, a PhD. I mean, that's, that's a long, that's a leap, right? It so is. what kind of drove you in that direction? Well, you know, I think this was a, you know, let's, let's, let, let me be honest and transparent to the audience. Audience, let me tell you something, uh, what Miss Moyer is not telling you. This woman is literally directly responsible for me getting this doctorate degree. What are you talking about? You know exactly what I'm talking about, ma'am. So Sylvia Moyer is, for those who don't know her personally, is one of the most, I mean, I'm talking about one of the best mentors I've ever had, right? And so having said that, you know, I wanted to, you know, policing is one of those jobs where, hey, you might sprain an ankle or, you know, you might break a leg or something like that. And, you know, that's it. You have to medically retire and you're done. And I know that I wanted something more than just doing the working in a black and white patrol car. For some reason, I don't know what happened. Uh, I decided that I wanted to continue my education because I, I had an affinity for education. I wanted to teach in the classroom. Uh, and so I went and got my master's degree and... Halfway through my master's, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go get my doctorate degree. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I was just like, well, I don't want to stop there. And, you know, again, let's say for one reason or another, I get out of policing. Uh, you know, I want to be able to position myself to create opportunities for myself and not wait for the opportunities to come to me. And so I'm glad I did it. How I did it, I'm still looking back and trying to figure that out. It's like, who goes and gets a uh, master's and a doctorate while working full time? So, uh, yeah, let's just say my social life took a huge hit uh, during that time. But So you're I making mean, up for it in Vegas? Is that what we're hearing? I wish. I wish I could tell y'all I'm out having a blast. I'm having a great time. I'm out here every weekend. <laughs> Honestly, my life is about as boring as they come. Uh, you know, uh, just, I don't know. I'm, I listen. If we we could put a cam outside of uh, my house and they'll show you, I'm here 99 percent of the time. You tell Ted where you live. He will put a camera outside your house. He will Google Earth your house. There he is. He will find out where you live and he will watch you a little bit. Yeah, I'm yeah. telling you. I, I just uh, I just I think spatially and I just like to know where people are. Yeah, I, I've had to move three times, Doc, because Ted has found me. So, um, oh, you know, just uh, saying. Okay. So when um, the Google cool. satellite goes live, that's when you guys need to be worried. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. Dr. Magni, I, I, I have a question because I, sure. I love this topic about being a working police officer and then pursuing academics because, you know, in, in our profession, there is – uh, a conversation, we'll just call it, you know, about whether, you know, we should mandate 
uh, degrees for officers. And I've gotten a lot of pushback because I'm, I'm a lot like you, not a very great student in my, my high school years. And I actually went back um, and got my schooling as an adult while I was working as well. And I had such a greater appreciation for academics because I did that. I, I, I really do think youth is wasted on the young, but there is an argument in law enforcement about all you need is, you know, to have street smarts and you don't have to have, you know, academics and philosophy and, you know, all, all of the things that come with, you know, an academic degree, whether it be formal or informal education. And so what do you say to those people who argue that, you know, it's just not necessary for law enforcement, you know, and, and how do you, how do you see that value as a police officer who pursues a higher education? So we know that the prefrontal cortex of the brain doesn't fully develop until the age of 25. So I see the one side, and I know that the state of California was kind of going in that direction uh, in saying that, hey, if the brain doesn't fully develop till the age of 25, maybe we need to raise the age for people becoming police officers, especially when you're talking about, you know, the liability that's associated with it, right? So when you're talking about carrying a gun, use of force. uh, Decision making. Correct. All of those things. And do you want to give an 18-year-old, a 21-year-old, those powers or, you know, the ability to take or, you know, affect somebody's life if technically the brain isn't fully developed yet, right? So there's that one side. And then you have the other side saying, hey, you know what? Policing isn't really that difficult. I'm using air quotes when I say this. Uh, In the sense that decision-making, it's easy. If somebody committed a crime, you arrest them, you take them to jail, or if they committed an infraction, you know, if they run a stop sign, you write a ticket. So there's that side of it too. You know, for me, it doesn't have to be an either or, it could be an and, right? So you can continue your education. I know that a lot of schools, I mean, a lot of schools, a lot of agencies have partnered with, uh, you know, some community colleges or some of the schools where they, you know, kind of facilitate people going back to school and getting their education and all of that. So uh, that's how I answer that question. It doesn't have to be a, it's not a one against the other. It can be both. Both can be done at the same time. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I think you're 100% right. I, I agree with you. And I also think that even pursuing an education or a degree also shows a level of perseverance of, you know, of finishing things. So there's even another element of psychology, I think it brings to that. But for me, you know, it was it helped me with my problem solving to understand there's more than one hypothesis out there, especially when it comes to policing. And I think academics and practitioners and, um, and those who work the streets, I, I think to your point, the and is, uh, is such a powerful word, uh, because all of that can come together and, and, and help with delivering the best possible outcomes on the street, which is what we want. Yeah. And, and to add on to that, it could be a force multiplier on top of that. So if you're an age, so if you're, I'm just going to make this up, but if you're, you know, Joe Smith and you decide to get your uh, degree in finance or something in the finance field uh, and you get that degree, now you've got an in-house, you know, financier, somebody who can help you with uh, you know, educating you on finance, how to, you know, be responsible. You know, if you're somebody who wants to get a law degree and you get a law degree and you pass the bar, now you've got an in-house counsel. You know what I'm saying? So it be- again, it becomes that force multiplier where you're not technically having to go to the outside. You've got somebody who's already familiar with the job on the inside. And then they've got some, you know, something else that they bring tangible to the uh, to the table to help, you know, the organization and the communities that they serve. 
I love that. So many people think that you have to go get a degree in criminal justice. And right. to your point, no, there's so many other topics that add value to the profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. My undergrad was in criminal justice. And to Dr. Magny's point, I think there's two things I want to dive into here. One is that Dr. Magny talked about how it expands perhaps what someone could contribute. It also provides for a safety net. If, if someone is medically retired, they have another area that they could potentially examine, right? But I want to talk about this other thing. Dr. Obed Magny, you said the human brain is not fully developed until 25. Now, Chief Zeman and I have hired a shit ton of people that are under 25 years old. You, I'm actually petrified. Like, I just uh, compromise safety in my community because I have sent an underdeveloped brain out to, to safeguard a community. Kidding me right now? That's the science. I didn't make it up. I didn't wake up someday and just say, you know what? I think it's 20. That's the science. But... This is why, you know, this is why, again, I'm such a big proponent of education and changing the way we train in policing. Yeah. Um, as you probably, this is a study that came out last year that talked about how much time we actually spend in our police academies on emotional intelligence, interpersonal skills, ethics, and all that kind of stuff. And in a typical, I don't know if you're familiar with this study, but in a six month academy, do you guys want to take a guess what percentage we spend on? Interpersonal skills, emotional intelligence, that kind of stuff? Two. I'd say 1%. 3.21%. So in a six-month academy, we're talking, what, uh, something more in the neighborhood of like 650 hours. We spend only 20, 20 on interpersonal skills, 20 hours. So going back to the, you know, again, the developing of the brain and so on and so forth, we're already doing a disservice to the police officers out there who work in the front lines because they don't even have the training on dealing with people from different cultures, for example, different backgrounds and so on and so forth. So if we're not putting a premium on that, this is one of the reasons why you see some of the, you know, um, incidents where, you know, community trust and policing is just eroding, you know, and this is another reason why you see people coming in to policing today and saying that, hey, the training that I'm looking for, I can't get, so I'm just not going to stick around. I'm just going to get up and go somewhere else where I can get that training or wherever I can become the best version of myself. Yeah. Well, training is about skills and education is about knowledge and development. Isn't there an inherent flaw in simply providing training? Well, yeah, you could have training, but there's got to be some practical experiences also. We obviously have to have firearms training, right? If you can't point and shoot at what you're looking to point and shoot at, that's a problem. You got to have your EVAR training and so on and so forth. But we're in the people business. So if the majority of the time where police officers are interacting with people who are probably having a bad day, it would make sense that you would give them the skill set or in their toolbox or their tool belt uh, to be prepared to handle the you know, the day in and day outs of operations of policing. I mean, if you go work at Verizon as a customer service rep or some other uh, organization as a customer service rep, what's the first thing they do when, when, you, when you get hired? They give you that training on dealing with other people. And it's like, hey, chances are the people you're going to be dealing with uh, are probably going to be angry or upset about something. But if you call Verizon, you got a problem with your phone. What happens after you get off the phone? You get a text message, hey, can you do this feedback on how we did? Because if 
the person you talked to didn't do that well. We want to know about it and what we can do to improve it. We do nothing like that in policing. It's a when, bam, we're done, and that's it. So that's why, you know, I always keep saying if policing were run like a business, policing would be bankrupt. We'd be out of business because we don't always place a premium uh, on customer service. You know, it it blows my mind that the fact that, you know, these academies are are run by um, with the within with the model in mind of a paramilitary or military organization. I mean, it's run a lot like a boot camp. And I went through the academy in 1994 and, you know, we're standing in line and we're saluting, sir, yes, sir. You know, and we did the push-ups and all of that. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for discipline. I'm not saying that there's not a place for building skills, all of the skills that we mentioned. We have to know, you know, defensive tactics. We have to have marksmanship skills. We have to learn the elements of a crime. But most importantly, you know, we we're sending people out, officers out, but we're but we've trained them like the military as though they're going to war. And what they really are going is to a neighborhood dispute where, you know, they need to you know, listen to both sides and problem solve. And that's always been such a failure in our academies. And I think that we've seen some progress. So I know Washington State was one of the first ones to put uh, a an academy together that actually emulated what life was like on the street and teach exactly empathy and cultural diversity. But where do you think the rest of, you know, in some progressive academies are, are doing that in some states, but why hasn't every everyone jumped on to that when it makes so much sense, Doc? Oh, man, I, I don't know if we have enough time to even, <laughs> to even, to even peel that onion. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of reasons, right? So you've got tradition on the front end. So in many police departments where you have the the echo chamber promoting the echo chamber promoting the echo chamber that doesn't know any better right you're not going to see that kind of innovation so if you going back to the education part right if there was a subject matter expert or subject matter experts in your organization that understood those things like compassion empathy understanding people uh, interpersonal skills all those kinds of things if you position those people in training and helping develop the organization, you're going to be 10 times far better than the next organization. And you actually brought something up, which was a pretty, I guess you could say ironic and funny at the same time. So the military, for example, when they have their, when people from the military are transitioning back into civilian life, they go out of their way in facilitating military personnel going into civilian life. Where in policing, if you have a certain expertise in something, it's, uh, well, you got to wait two years or you got to wait five years. And then maybe you can put in for it, but we can't guarantee you'll get it because you have to compete with the... How much does mm. that make? No, it's anti-intellectual. Exactly. So yesterday's employee, as we all know, they come in through the 30 years. They knew they were going to get treated like trash and be undermined and so on and so forth. But hey, I'm going to get that pension. I'm going to move to Montana, get my ranch, and I'm just going to retire off into the sunset. Those employees are no longer here. Those guys are on the way out, and we have the new millennial coming in behind them. And these are the employees who want the training. They want those interpersonal skills training. They know they have certain skill sets that other people don't have, and they're saying to themselves, hey, I can help you with A, B, C, X, Y, Z, there's nobody else in this organization that's even remotely close in my expertise. Let me help you out with this. And we're like, nah, 
you got to put in. You got to wait two years, three years, whatever it is. And then you got to put in for it, but we won't even guarantee that you're going to get the job. So there's an opportunity there, you know, for, um, you know, to change that mindset. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. You can just look at the numbers and you could look at social media where you have people who are getting into policing and they're jumping out two, three years in saying, oh, no, 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 no. And all of, that, all of that really speaks to your work, your study, your work on motivation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that you've done considerable uh, interaction and some research on what motivates people. And when folks are telling you, hey, this is what motivates me, this is what does not motivate me, this is how uh, the organization can uh, create a climate and a culture where I feel valued and I want the 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 stick to itness what what are you finding what are folks reporting to you in terms of motivation and what keeps them in the profession because it's not just policing right it is across professions so talk to us about what they're what they're reporting to you about motivation and what is your research finding and what are you teaching about this so a couple of things when I did my dissertation back in 2012, I looked at what was it that motivated police officers sure. during that time. And I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with the um, great recession that took place of 08 and then the hangover that took place afterwards, right? Pension reform, uh, people being laid off. I mean, more cuts than you can think of. And, you know, officers only responded to 911 calls and so on and so forth. So my uh, dissertation was on Frederick Herzberg's motivation hygiene theory. And the the motivation hygiene theory, I have to remember sometimes I can get so lost in the weeds that I'm just like, I forget who my audience is. You are nerding out right now and I am here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Your audience is like, we love it. Love it. So there are intrinsic motivators and then there are extrinsic motivators. So the hygiene factors, right? So the hygiene factors would be like company policy, relationship with your supervisor, relationship with your coworkers, right? We'll just use those as examples. Those are to be met at a baseline level. Nobody goes to work every day and says, oh, I can't wait to go to work today because I'm going to be working for Kristen Zeman and Sylvia Moore. Nobody's going out of their way to do that. Now, yeah. wait, are you sure? I feel like, they, wait, you know what? We're going to end this podcast right now. <laughs> Ted? Get the siren. What the is happening here? (laughs) Thank you. Okay. I'm sorry. You were saying what, doctor? Doctor. If you if you see if you had if you had given me the extra 20 seconds, I would have like come back with some uh with a little something. There is an expectation that you would want your supervisor to respect you, to give you opportunities to help you succeed, to be a friend, all of those things. That is the minimum, okay? So if you're not even getting that, it becomes a demotivating factor. That's where I was like, it's artificial. It's a hygiene factor. Unfortunately, too many leaders think that the iron fist is what motivates people. The, I got to write you up for everything, discipline you for everything. Uh, you didn't follow policy, so I got to get after you, this, that. No. As long as it's met at a baseline level where I feel that it's fair and equitable, I'm cool. I'm not thinking about it. The intrinsic factors, what motivates employees, okay? It doesn't matter if you're in policing, finance, whatever profession you're in. It's achievement, the ability to promote, 
to advancing your job, uh, the job itself, if you enjoy doing what it is that you're doing, those type of things. So when you, in recognition, when you recognize your employees uh, for the work that they do, they go above and beyond. Man, think about this. <clears throat> you got this pen. You know, somebody did something fantastic. That's right. We're going to use props here. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I write a nice little note. Hey, uh, Obed Magni, the way you handled that call today or, what, you know, project management, blah, 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 you know, it was great because what it showed was you, if somebody got a handwritten note mm. from their supervisor saying what you did was amazing and fantastic, you don't think that employee is going to go above and beyond day in and day out? Doc, I'm sitting up in my chair a little a little taller if that note is handed to me. And I'm also going to want to work my ass off for you. Exactly. So if you want employees to go above and beyond, okay, this, this listen, folks, I didn't make this up. I didn't just Google it, all right? This is all research. This is not my opinion, all right? The research shows when you recognize your employees, you give them the ability to advance, you... Give them work that's going to challenge them and be better and so on and so forth. They will go above and beyond day in and day out. Okay, Doc, but this is this is low-hanging fruit. This is not rocket science, right? This is treat people, be the, the boss that you wish you had, right? All of these things, treating people, like uplifting them instead of knocking them down. Then why is it... Um, and I was, uh, I grew up in an organization where people re- were rewarded uh, for disciplining people. It was the more that you can drop the hammer, uh, that's what got you recognized when you are the disciplinarian. So if we know, if the science shows us, and, and, and here's the other thing, if we know because we feel it and being on the receiving end of getting that handwritten note or saying, hey, you did a really great job today, high five, that we know that through science and through feeling it, why do people resist it so much? And why are we still dealing with autocratic and egomaniac leaders, the Machiavellians? I think a better question is, how is that working out for us in police? Yeah, that's a great question. It's that's not, why you're the doctor. I yeah, just, not. I, you know what? listen, family, let me tell you. Let me, let me, let me, <laughs> let me talk to y'all real quick. <laughs> All right, get, let's get real, family. Here we go. If you look at the numbers, and I actually uh, I did a webinar with uh, Justice Clearinghouse where I actually uh, showed the numbers, right? So two things. The Great Resignation did not start with the pandemic, all right? The Great Resignation started back in like 2008, 2009. And it was gradually, gradually, gra- we all know about the boiled frog phenomenon. For those who don't know, it's like if you're in the water long enough and it warms up and it gets a little hotter, you burn to death, right? So this is what we had. We had a bullfrog phenomenon going on since 2008, 2009, 2015, 2018, and then boom, the pandemic hits. The pandemic, the only thing the pandemic did was hit the fast forward button. That's all. People were like, man, I'm home. My, My mental health has increased significantly. I don't have to deal with the misogyny, racism. I don't have to deal with a boss that hates me and is trying to make an example out of me. I don't have to be in the environment where, you know, I'm considered less than all those kinds of, you know what, I can get used to the matter of fact, you know what, I quit. Let me go ahead and start my own business over here or go someplace else where I'm going to be um, valued as an employee. So this is not new. This was already happening. And when I did my dissertation, this was a lot of the sentiment that I was getting was the, hey, man, you know, 
you're treating us like trash. You know, we can only take this for so long. And then now here we are today where, you know, you have your 20 something year olds who are saying, wait, wait, wait. you want me to come in here, come in here, give you maybe five years before you actually look and take me seriously. I'll tell you what, go ahead and take this resignation paper. I'm gonna go over here. You let me know how that works out for you. So what do you have right now? To your point, Ms. Zeman, Zeman, sorry. Uh, you have coast to coast, every agency saying, oh my God. We're, we can't find officers. We have this. Everybody, where's everybody going? And you know, and again, I just, I'm just, I'm just sitting here watching this movie, and I'm like, you haven't figured this out yet. You haven't figured out why people are leaving your organization. And I'm just saying this, you know, culturally, coast to coast, right? Because some agencies get it right. They understand it. They don't have issues with recruiting and retention because from the chief all the way down, they value their employees. And it's not just a buzzword. It is demonstrated. They got receipts. So if you're an organization, again, doesn't matter if you're a policing or not, right? If you got people leaving your organization saying, screw this place, first question you got to ask is, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, hold do up a minute. Do you think stockbrokers or people in finance, when when they see their stocks drop or organizations where, you know, business is down, do you think they're saying, what's wrong with the customer? What what the heck is wrong with these, with these people? No, they're saying, okay, what happened? How do we fix it? You know, Kristen, do you see why I love this man? Oh, I get it. I so get right? it. Oh. Let's talk about him like he's not here for a minute. He's amazing. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we thought The Rock was great. Right? I know. The Rock was great, but yeah. yeah. No, so, even better. As we kind of bring this, wrap this up, where can people learn more about you? Oh, man. Let's see. So Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, I'm at dot. Yeah, my TikTok. I got to do more of my TikTok. It's uh, TikTok. TikTok. Wow, yeah, I'm, you I'm, are I'm, progressive. Yeah, You're like a me. millennial. I am, I am a millennial. I'm only 26 years old. <laughs> wow, what an accomplishment so far in your life. Yeah, so uh, it's at Dr. Obed Magni. D R O B. I'm getting oh. stopped. Uh, I was a little late, but you already had, you already admitted to watching TJ Hooker. <sighs> you can't go back and say you're in your mid twenties. I'm no math magician. I am no math Isn't magician, it? but that did not add up. It did add up because you know um, they had TiVo uh, back then. No. <laughs> I, I clearly did the like you know the whole run and slide across the hood like TJ Hooker. It was a little uncomfortable with the baton, but. On the baton, you know, people tripping okay. I'm like, oh man, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So I know that you have a lot of uh, nerd stuff that you have to do. So we're going to let you go. Um, I just want you to know, I want to hug your brain because I love it. Uh, but I'm going to ask you one last question to bring us home. You know, this is the Hollow Bunny podcast. And, you know, metaphorically, uh, we want to know what fills your bunny. You know what? Helping people has always filled my bunny. Being, it's a, mm. it's a, it, for me, it's an honor and a privilege to help others be the best version of themselves or organizations become the best version of themselves, whether I'm reviewing your policies or, you know, all of those, like it is an honor for me to help others um, be the best version of themselves. It's that's that and the Miami Hurricanes football team. I'm a big fan. Of <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, to work that in. Beautiful. Well, okay. Okay. Oh, man, I have to say, Dr. Magni, not only do you have this uh, incredible rapper, 
right? You've got this incredible persona, but you are a legit solid bunny. You are full, you are solid, you contribute, and anybody takes a bite from the Obed Magni ear of that bunny is going to be fully satisfied and is going to be energized to do more in uh, wherever they serve. So thanks for your enthusiasm. Thank you. There was one other thing I completely almost forgot. I do have a podcast too. It's called Magnified, M-A-G-N-Y-F-I-E-D. You are a solid bunny, Doc. Thank you so much again for coming on to the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. And that is a wrap for us. Thank you so much and see you later. Thanks, Dr. Magni. Thank you to the both of you. Okay, that that guy's a solid bunny. Solid bunny. And he is, he is so full of what is real and what is substantive. Yeah. One of the things I love that he talked about, you know, when I said, what, what is it? Why is it that we can't get out of our own way in law enforcement? And, you know, and he gave such a great metaphor or at least parallel how the military does such a great job at transitioning people into civilian life, but a terrible job um, in policing when we bring people into policing. And I loved that. I'd never thought of it that way and, and how tradition impedes progress. That was a big takeaway for me. Right. And I was really struck by when he talked about that space and how it takes so long for people that have passions or specialties to get into that. And it reminded me of a story you told in your book, Reimagining Blue, about how your approach as a chief was to approach this differently that, um, and how you really engaged with your squad. Were you a lieutenant at that time? Yeah. And that, yeah, that was just trying to do something completely out of the box where, you know, in in looking to solve a problem and see, I think that's the problem with policing is because we are so traditionally minded and tradition is great because tradition, those are are where the bedrock of our values, you know, that's where, um, you know, the, our symbolism comes in, but tradition, when, when you're, it's, when it's an impediment to forward progress, when we never stop and do what he does, what, what, what the doc does about really, you know, unpacking it and peeling away the layers and saying, this isn't working for us. And that's exactly what he was talking about is like, let's come up with a new and better way to police. And that's precisely where evidence policing comes from is let's stop doing the same things over and over and expecting the same results. Let's look at the evidence and what it produces and let's go from there. I love that. What works, right? And so I've engaged with some incredibly smart, forward-thinking, data-driven folks in policing. And as a chief, I would go in and talk to our folks and they would ask the cops, what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. Because what is the traditional response? Surge resources to an area. Our presence will then make a difference. Well, it will make a difference, but is it a difference in the way that you want it to move, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the other thing that struck me is when we were having the conversation about police academies, part of a police academy is the stress inoculation. It is designed to, uh, I guess, apply pressure in a way that the human being becomes resilient, Mm -hmm. not, not as a hardening, but develops a resilience. And I think there's a lot of advancement being done across this nation for how we inoculate folks for the stresses of policing, not just Mm -hmm. 
educating them to the law and to the other uh, skills, but there's a piece where they're teaching resilience. Yeah. Have yeah, you I think that's that? so true. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's a place, and I certainly don't want to downplay, and and I never mean to say that 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 the skills of training and even inserting yeah. a stress stress in an environment, but the the key is that it's a a safe environment where you you can learn and make mistakes in that safe environment. But what that does is takes you out onto the street where uh, I've said it a million times is that you play like you practice. So you there is a certain a, a abundant amount of stressors that need to be inserted into a safe environment. But I just think we need to concentrate more on what he was talking about, about emotional intelligence. And I love, can we just talk for a second about toxic leaders and and what he said? And I never thought about the great resignation as he said that it has just magnified what has been coming. It never occurred to me or it's never been put in a way that he put it is that the reason that people don't want to come back to work is not because they don't like the work that they're doing, but because it's keeping them from these toxic leaders that are disciplinarians and they're tired of that. What did you think about that? Well, I, I was struck by it because I've always found that discipline is designed to create improvement in behavior. Yeah. What he was referencing is punishment. Punishment yeah. is tantamount to abuse. And yeah. so discipline, I think people thrive in discipline. And as mm-hmm. as leaders, you and I have had uh, occasion to discipline folks. Sure. And discipline, when properly applied, holds people accountable. And it's designed in a way to create a change and improvement in their behavior. Yeah. And discipline, the very core of discipline is Latin to teach. Yes. And so many people, the giver and the receiver feel it's punishment. And that Mm -hmm. is a, that is a seismic shift that needs to take place. We can be open hearted and loving and disciplined and Mm -hmm. disciplined to teach create improvement in behavior. And I think that's all very necessary. How many times have we found that someone is held accountable and people in their environment say, well, dang, it's about time. Exactly. It sends a message to the rest of the organization for sure. Yeah. He was really great. I, I, I love that you invited him on the show. I learned so much from him and, you know, just landing the plane here is, is what he said that adversity is the, is truly what's necessary to become successful is that you, it's luck meets hard work meets adversity. And to me, that's the secret sauce. So I, I love that, you know, we kind of drove it home there and I just think he's brilliant and what a great guest. Yeah. And some storms are created or come upon us to what to clear a path and get us. Absolutely. Yeah. So remarkable. And he's an energetic person with such substance and so often we see these energetic people that mm, there's kind of a hollow bunny i mean he's the total package right total package absolutely absolutely intellectual curiosity and service and motivation enthusiasm and inspiration is just really remarkable and what a delight that we got to expose our audience to dr obed magni yep and i'm gonna bite his bunny brain. That's all. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us once again for another episode of the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. I'm Kristen Zeman, and that is Sylvia Moyer, my beautiful co-host. 
This podcast is produced by Ted Madden, and the song you are about to hear is written and performed exclusively for this podcast by my handsome and talented son, Jake Zeman, and his equally talented and beautiful friends, Fabian Guerrero and Joey Replinger. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and tell everyone you know about it. If you don't, no problem. Just keep moving along quietly. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye. When you look inside, what do you find? Are you content to fall behind when you look the hollow buddy and we all feel hollow sometimes but the monsters are only in your mind it's a tough pill to swallow but if you're brave and kind you'll be Monsters are